Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. Dr. Baron Lerner is joining us today. Uh, there aren't many doctors who are as well published as Dr. Lerner. He's got four books out there. He's been in the New York Times, the Atlantic, Huffington Post. He is something that is very dear to my heart. If you've listened to the podcast before, he is a historian of medicine, delights me no end. He's a practicing internist at NYU. Uh, he has a book that came out that we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, the book is called The Good Doctor, and I want to tell the story of why we're getting into this. But first of all, Baron, welcome to Explore the Space. My pleasure. This book came to me. This is a book about your relationship with your father, the intersection between sort of what, what seems like some of the generational gaps in medicine that the two of you encountered through your careers. My dad got me a copy of the book. My dad was a doctor. His dad was a doctor. I'm a third-generation physician. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun connectivity that brought this book to my desk. And as I read it, I thought, no, 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 no. This is exactly what we need to be talking about. What was the thing that triggered you to say, this is a book, this is a story that needs to be told. It's a very personal story. And it gets into a lot of really important questions that everybody that ever has to come to a hospital or see a doctor faces. Was there a seminal thing that made you sit down and say, I'm writing this book, I'm putting out some of this family detail into the public? Well, it was sort of a process. Um, my dad had always kept these journals uh, which is what I use uh, to write a, a big portion of the book that documented both our family's history and his uh, medical career. And after completing my previous book, I was sort of fishing around for a topic and uh, was reading some of the old journals. And then finally a light bulb went off in my head and said, wait a minute, this is exactly what I should do for my next book, which is to tell a story that was much more personal than my other books and uh, brought in my dad's career, which is something that had uh, influenced me my entire life, both before I was a doctor and, and when I was becoming a doctor and now that I'm a doctor. So I realized finally that, that it was a story that needed to be told. When you break out some of these stories that were written in your dad's journal, I think a lot of people go through this when they want to tell personal stories that involve them, but aren't necessarily there, the primary character. Is it, is it difficult to sort of say, you know what, my dad may not have ever written this for public consumption, but it is okay to put these stories out there because it's going to help people who may read this or learn about it or interpret it. It's going to help them on whatever journey they're on. Well, he had, um, at one point entertained himself, the idea of writing some type of a memoir uh, and he was going to use those materials. So that was one thing that made me comfortable. The other thing that, that worked for me was that my dad was very much alive when I started the project. Mm, uh, uh -huh. he, he was ill, but he was, he was definitely alert and with it enough to basically give me his permission. And uh, one of the things that was so nice was how much he trusted me with the material because uh, having read the book, Mark, you know that there's some things in there that, uh, he did that come off uh, as not ideal. So I think it was typical of him that he trusted me and was willing 
to let me tell his story. That takes us right in, though, to what I was thinking about the whole time I was reading this book. It's this idea of generational gaps and spaces in perception. It exists, of course, in any context. This is particular to medicine, that the way something is done a generation before is not necessarily the way it's done now. And figuring out how to reconcile those two things is a real challenge. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, certainly, I know this wearing my history of medicine hat, uh, the changes that have occurred in medicine just over the last 50 years have been so dramatic, just the way that medicine was practiced in the days when my dad was training, for example, is so dramatically different than what it is now. And, you know, I think we have a tendency always to think, well, now we're better. And in those days, they didn't know what they were doing. But there's a reason that that type of medicine was so important and all encompassing then. And I, I do worry that we've lost some of what those doctors and patients experienced. I think then you can also say, if you were to I mean, I can say for, you know, my, my father and I are the medicine that he and I practice is different. He's retired. Now he retired a couple of years ago, had a wonderful career as a nephrologist when he started medicine. And when he finished medicine, it was a different sport by that point. And when the newer generation and the, and the older generation start to work together, sometimes smoothly, sometimes colliding that generation gap, uh, it can be a little bit challenging to bridge, particularly when you're trying to make decisions based on what you think may be the best for the team that you're working with, for the patient that you're trying to take care of. And also then, like you talk about in the book, figuring out what is the best thing for the patient and who gets to make that decision. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, the you know, to be a little more specific, the, the medicine that my dad practiced was this very paternalistic doctor in charge approach. So mm. I was very accustomed, uh, both when hearing about his medical practice and seeing him in action, uh, seeing a type of medicine that was very 24 seven, that he was all about his patients. They could call any hour of the day or night. And he, uh, told them what to do for the most part. And when I was training, it was really the early years of, of bioethics and patients' rights and medicine was very much transforming into the sort of uh, beast it is today where it's much more uh, of a dialogue between doctor and patient and patients really have the last say. And I was very much weaned uh, on that in medical school that, you know, doctors shouldn't always make the decisions. Doctors can be paternalistic. They can be arrogant. Medicine has to change. So I had these two very divergent views of medicine in my head at the same time, both the old uh, paternalistic practice that my dad had embodied and this new medicine I was being taught in school. Has it been difficult to reconcile those? Obviously, you've had a long, fruitful, and, and, and interesting career. Has it been difficult, though, to come to grips with those two perspectives? You're, I agree with you. I think that probably, you know, your generation of physicians uh, dealt with that pivot point a lot more. Mine different challenges. That pivot point, though, I mean, it's reflected in popular media. It's reflected in TV shows that were coming out. It, has it been difficult to sort of reconcile it and still find satisfaction? Well, I think that writing the book uh, was, was part of my way of trying to come to terms with all of this. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, the, the Freudian version of my book is that 
you know, I guess that sons need to reject their fathers and then, <laughs> Uh, you know, eventually they they come around, and you and, and I did a crummy yeah, but, job of rejecting our fathers. But well, here we are. <laughs> right? I mean, semi semi rejecting. If right, I, if I right. followed if I followed his career choice, I did. You know, very much sort of reject his, you know, somewhat overbearing approach to medicine. Yeah, sure. um, but but uh, you know, having learned uh, how medicine had to change and how patients needed to be. The, the decision makers really, uh, it, it was very helpful for me to then go back and immerse myself in his journals. And, and that really forced me and helped me to understand just what it was about that earlier era that was so compelling. And, and that's what I try to, again, bring out in the book is to sort of see if we can merge these two strands. Can we still um, develop relationships with our patients that are meaningful? Can we still give our patients advice? Can we still at times tell our patients what to do in this time where those sorts of behaviors are frowned upon? And, and I think we can. It's, it's not easy, but that's some of what I was trying to advocate in the book. I think you accomplished it. And I think that, you know, one of the themes that I've, I've hit on a couple of different episodes of my podcast is the idea that, you know, we have to capitalize on the history that we have access to. Uh, like, like you, I, you know, my, my background is in history as well. And you, you can find the perspective that you need by looking back into history and drawing the key lessons from it. And if you don't, you're, you're missing out, you're missing the boat completely. I think in the book, the lessons that we can draw and the things that are of tremendous value are, are, are made pretty clear. This book though, it, it crossed over. Um, I know you, you had interviews on NPR. The book's crossover was not within medicine. It, it went well outside of the bounds of people just who are interested in medicine or practice medicine. Did you find people that read the book and were giving you feedback? Were they gravitating towards the, the things that you wanted them to? Were they catching the lessons that you were hoping they would find or was there feedback that was saying, this is not what we want. We want the non-paternalistic, the, the, you know, entirely integrated physician. What sort of tenor did that feedback take from people outside of medicine as well as inside? Well, I'll give you a, a good anecdote about that. I, um, when the book came out, I, I tried to write some articles on various websites and I had a piece that came out in in Slate, uh, on the, on the Slate website. And that particular piece looked at one aspect of the book, which was my father's propensity for taking care of our family members. And at the end of my, both of my grandmother's lives, he was very aggressive in trying to speed their deaths, um, in various ways. Um, and what was so interesting um, from the feedback. And, and here I was I writing this article and I was very critical of him and said, I felt that he'd crossed the line. He was being too aggressive in deciding himself as a family member, how much more care they should have. And the comments at the end of the article were about 50, 50 <laughs> and, and half of them, half of them were, uh, that, that the senior doctor learned that my dad was, the, a great doctor and those doctors are long since gone and and it's so terrible uh, these days that doctors don't care like like doc like dr lerner did and then half of them called him you know practically a murderer for what mm -hmm. he was doing and um and so it, it was interesting to see that the, the great thing of course was that people really um 
paid attention to the article and the issues that were involved, which to me is always the the best gift is to get people thinking about these things. And, you know, the reality, of course, is somewhere in the middle. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't a murderer, um, but he got in over his head and was, was too aggressive in these cases. And, you know, to the degree that the more calm readers actually understood that uh, balance, then, then hopefully people learn something. What do you feel like are the key parts of this that help us as I deal with the, the, the newer generation gaps in medicine around technology, telemedicine, uh, social media, all of these sorts of things that are, you know, look, I'm, I finished medical school in 2003, um, but this is a whole different cohort of medical students that are coming up, you know, people that have come through residency, different expectations, different skill sets. What are the sort of st- the, the, the pieces, the repetitive pieces that anyone that's reconciling these sort of generation gaps, medicine, law, whatever it may be, that we can hit on to say this is the way to pull the two pieces together, reconcile them, and move forward in a constructive way? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge topic. You know, I, I certainly one thing I recommend is that uh, we very much acknowledge how you can't have the sort of practice that my dad did anymore. I mean, my dad spent enormous amounts of time with his patients. He had enough time that he, when his patients were in the hospital, he could go visit them twice a day and spend all this time with them. And that, that's just not possible anymore. So that to, to, to pine for that doesn't make any sense. But I, I do hope that we can try to use the new technologies that are available to be in touch with patients. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what means so much to at least my patients. It, you know, I, I, mean, I sometimes I can't be in the same room with them. I can't spend 45 minutes with them. But if I'm focused on them when I'm with them and I give them a call when their test results come back and I remember aspects of their family and their family's lives and I can refer back to that. Um, just today I saw a patient and I take little cheat notes in my in my uh, column about, uh, in, in my notes on the computer about what was going on in his family. And I saw him three months ago and it jarred me to ask. And he's like, wow, you have a really good memory. Uh, and I said, and I really don't, I write this down on the, on the chart and I come back to him and he's like, well, that's fine, but I'm so glad you asked about that. I, you know, I saw the guy for 20 minutes today, but five of the 20 minutes were a discussion of some issues that have been going on in his family, and I think he appreciated it. So I think the larger goal is to not just be a technician, not just be someone who checks off boxes on the computer, but to try to use one's time as best as possible to forge connections with patients. And even if you're not doing it in person, just to keep in touch and, you know, to some degree, some of these technologies help us do that better than the old technologies. It's so funny that you mentioned that technique. Um, I, I do the same thing sometimes. Um, you know, I, I'm a hospitalist, so I don't necessarily have the same longitudinal uh, care. Although I have, you know, plenty of patients and families that I've seen, you know, on more than one occasion. And I always, always try to remember that. I learned it from my dad. He did the exact same thing. He would make a little note, um, you know, not because he was trying to just have a little token that the next time he saw them, he could have something to talk about because he genuinely cared and he knew, look, I'm probably not going to remember. I'm going to see several hundred patients in the interim, but then there would be that piece to connect over. And it was always really, really powerful. And not only I think do people that you bring it up with, does it mean a lot to them? It's fun. 
you know, then, then it's something yeah. to chat about and, and have a little bit of fun around, or, you know, if it's something that is more serious to at least be able to connect over you're in academics. Do you have a chance to help populate your you know, trainees you come across, residents, fellows, medical students, whatever, maybe colleagues with these sorts of things where through the experiences you've had with your father, the experience writing the book to say, these are things that do help us. We, we pull them from the past, but they're just as relevant today and we should do them. Yeah, I do try to do that. I, I try not to be too uh, overbearing. Um, yeah. I, I've been in, I'm sure you've been in situations as well, for example, on rounds where not just a historian, but someone, uh, a more senior doctor who has a passion for something in medicine decides to do a spontaneous tutorial. <laughs> That's <laughs> never well received. The fair point. When there's been six, ad- six admissions the night before. Right. So right. I-, I definitely pick my uh, opportunities, but absolutely. And, and my sense is that if the students, if, it, if it's well-timed, and particularly if it's relevant to a patient that they're seeing, they're, they crave this sort of stuff. I mean, what, you know, I, I, for example, we had a patient recently who'd been hospitalized with endocarditis, um, who we were seeing in the outpatient setting. And I, and I quiz, and I did a spontaneous quiz of the house officer about, you know, when was endocarditis first curable? And he did, he had no clue like what I was talking about, but, and we only spent about five minutes on it, but I explained that, you know, before there were antibiotics, endocarditis was a uniformly fatal disease and people live different durations, but these are the first antibiotics that came in and this is how they started treating people. And, you know, so we did a, a brief segment on the history of medicine and, you know, I think they, that the, you know, that it was appreciated. Uh, again, I think it has a lot to do with, with choosing the right times and and I also try to do the same thing as, as far as trying to teach doctor-patient interaction. And, you know, so sometimes if I have the time, we'll go into the room together and I'll talk to the patient or I'll watch the student talk to the patient and try to give some of these tips that I've learned over the years that I learned from great uh, doctors as well about how to really develop a relationship. And I, I think that's what it is. And it's a huge challenge in this new world of medicine, but, but that's what I think it comes down to a relationship. Do you know your patient in a way that's meaningful for both of you? I think that that's how we keep these messages going forward. That's how we, I think it's a such a great tool in terms of closing these generational gaps and finding connections, not just between, you know, the, the patients that we're working with, the families, but also between docs. This is stuff that works for me. What works for you? Okay, cool. I'm going to go give that a try. Let's see. Let's see how, how helpful that is. Just that sort of concept of idea sharing without it being something where someone is standing in the bully pulpit making you do it, that it's, yeah. it's a shared experience. This idea though of, uh, passing information along and this idea of, you know, you're obviously you come from a line of physicians as do I so many people. And you see this outside of, you know, just in the, in the popular press, doctors say if they could do it over again, they wouldn't go into medicine. Doctors say if they had kids, they do not recommend that their kids go into medicine. When you were growing up, I mean, I can speak on my experience too. Was medicine something that you felt like was pushed, recommended? Was it something you gravitated to? Your friends that went into it, was it something like the same thing? Pushed into it, gravitated towards it, found it to be their calling of their own volition? Uh, in my case, um, I, I was immersed <laughs> in it, um, partly because my dad 
was so devoted to his patients. And, uh, you know, I think um, when you read his journals, he it's very funny. He In many places, he writes, not trying to force Barron into medicine, but brought him to the hospital this morning. Yeah. So he, he was aware of, he was aware of his inclination. Um, you know, I think as a role model, uh, he was remarkable. And, and certainly when I got to school and started to learn about how the human body works, uh, I got more and more interested. Actually, probably the determining factor for me was that I volunteered in a nursing home in when I was in high school and my dad at that point in time actually happened to be the medical director of the nursing home. And I went there and, you know, hung out with the people who live there and learned about their illnesses and interacted with them. And that, that sort of pushed me over the line. And I said that this sort of career, uh, was a good one for me. So, you know, I wouldn't say I was coerced into it. I, I was cajoled into it, but then, uh, realized that it was, a, it was a good choice for me. It, it's unfortunate when I do hear, doctors today say what you said, which is that they would never recommend that their kids um, go into it because how medicine's changed. Um, I, I would say, you know, just anecdotally among my peers, I, I think that pendulum has actually sort of swung back. And I know that a lot of my peers' children are pre-meds or, or, uh, or in med school these days. Um, so I think that uh, maybe people took a deep breath and said, yes, medicine isn't going to be like it used to be, but it's still a rewarding profession. And the students who go into it today go in with a different mindset and they realize that to some degree it's going to be more of a job than a calling, but it still can be very rewarding. I think that's one of the biggest gaps that we need to close is overcoming that idea that people shouldn't go into medicine, that somehow as the time has moved forward, it's become this sort of less appealing, more rugged thing to do. I, I personally don't subscribe to that. I think it's a, a great life challenge. It's, it's very difficult, um, but totally worth it. And that's the, the language that's kind of the, the language that we need to, I think, reverse that trend of, I don't want other people to go into medicine. I wouldn't recommend it is figuring out ways to overcome that. Yes. No, I, I, I strongly agree. And I'm, you know, I'm these days, I'm a big fan. And I, you know, with the, with the caveat that, um, you know, you have to know what you're getting into, which is, uh, I'm tough training like it always was, but then the jobs when you come out may not be, you know, doctors just don't have the autonomy that they used to. Um, but I think if you're going into medicine, that's the expectation. It's not as devastating as it was for like my, you know, my dad at the end, um, you know, his last like set of journal entries was just ranting about what had happened to medicine and managed care and having to get prior approval. And he, at one point he wrote, you know, thank God, uh, this is all happening at the end of my career. Cause I, I couldn't take it anymore. And, and it was true. So in his case, it, it was good news that these changes had occurred late and he could, he was able to spend most of his career in charge of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but when medicine was changing, he he got out. And, and frankly, some of his colleagues pushed him to retire. But now it's great that you're in the prime of your career. You can leverage some of those lessons and opinions and things that he went through. And now you're getting to influence not just a generation of physicians, but anyone that's going to come in contact with the things that you write, giving that alternative spin that, look, 
yes, this is hard. It's, it's difficult. There are challenges. There's things that are good or bad, but it's still, a, it's still a profession that is amazing in so many respects. And it's one that we should pursue. Absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. What's going to be the next step then? Obviously, I'm sure you're going to want to continue to draw on the lessons of history as I do, and we'll, we'll need to continue to talk about, but what's going to be the next phase for you in terms of you're going to continue to work with house officers. You're going to continue to work with trainees. You're going to continue to practice moving these lessons forward, closing these generational gaps. What are the things that you're doing? What are the things that anyone else that's read the books interested that the tools and techniques that you find to be the most helpful? Well, I'm pretty much, uh, uh, everywhere these days. So the, the group that I'm now teaching that I wasn't before is undergrad. So I now teach pre-meds. So I'm, uh, I'm teaching pre-meds, I'm teaching medical students and I'm teaching residents, um, both, uh, medicine, but also history medicine and medical ethics. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part to try to, uh, bring some of the historical knowledge to to the modern educational world. So when I get the opportunity to do that, that's great. And I, among the things I do for my undergrads is I assign uh, a, a couple of chapters of my book. Um, and I have them read about what my dad, what sort of medicine that my dad practiced. And then we talk about it. And a lot of them, some of them have, have been, had, illness themselves and some have experienced it in family members. And it leads to a very productive discussion of, you know, is this the sort of doctor you would want or is this the sort of doctor that you wouldn't want? And again, I, the, the, the yes or no is not the interesting answer. The, what's interesting about that is the why and, and how and what it is about that kind of doctor and that kind of medicine that makes it so universally appealing and, and interesting. And that and that enables me to sort of use my dad's stories to the next generation of doctors. And that, to me, that's the biggest gift of this whole project. You know, he's died now. Um, but anytime I give a talk uh, that, I, that I get to talk about him or, or refer to him in the classroom, I feel, you know, it's a little, little uh, hokey, but, you know, I feel like he's there and, and, and what he stood for in his overwhelming interest in his patients and his patients' lives is there. And, and to be able to bring that perspective to a new generation of doctors is just a great opportunity. I think that that is going to be a big part of bridging all of these generational gaps is wh- where are the lessons from the past? Who are the influencers? What did they do that was powerful, influential, and important? And how can we keep doing it today? The, the, the medicine doesn't change. You know, the, the, the ways in which we practice medicine changes, but the central dogma, do, they don't change. And it's being able to leverage those things and pull them forward that I think is so important. I'm, I'm so glad that you wrote this book. I'm so glad that the lessons of history are so deeply inculcated in it. And now you're one of the people that's accessing those who are coming up to, to ingrain that in them. And that is hugely important. Well, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. The next time that you have another book or another project, you got to come back because we're going to have to dive right into it and sort of see what the impact it's having is going to be. The Good Doctor's a wonderful read. I loved it. Um, I'm glad that you wrote it. I think it probably took a lot of guts to to put such a personal story out there, but it's a story that really does have tremendous value for 
anyone that has to interact within the sphere of healthcare because it's the way in which we, how do we want that interaction to go? And there's things that are coming that we don't even know yet that we're going to want to do. There's things from the past that we absolutely have to continue to do. So thank you so much for joining us to talk about it. And uh, this was just a great, great discussion. Thank you, Mark. I, I really appreciate your having me on. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.